0: You are listening to the teaching podcast of Praise Community Church in Mason City, Iowa. For more information about our church, please visit praisecc.org. Again, uh, the question that is before us, so and I think again that that video kind of really portrays uh, very clearly, is it's not, is there an opportunity? Really the question is, will we seize the opportunity? Um, not too long ago at McGill University, the engineering and the medical faculties Uh, had engaged in an intramural basketball game and the score was 33 to 34. With about a minute left in the game, the engineers stole the ball from their opponent and then they kinda just froze it with just excellent passing and ball handling and they were able to continue doing that until they had run the clock out. Only when the buzzer had sounded did they learn that they were the ones who were behind and not their opponents. They were so wrapped up in freezing the ball, they lost track of the score. There are times where I think sometimes the church in in a a universal church kind of gets into looking at buildings and budgets and baptisms. And again, those are all very important things, but sometimes the the ball of evangelism gets frozen when we really as a church, universally, we really need to be in a full court press because we are behind Let me just ask you a question because I think the answer is going to kind of astound you. Who is the best known person in the world today? Who who do you think that would be? The best, and you can't answer this if you were at first service, okay? Who, Who is the person you would think would be the most, the best known, most famous person in the world today? If you would have said Billy Graham, you're wrong. If you said Santa Claus, you'd be wrong. If you said the Pope, you would be wrong. If you said Elvis Presley, you would be wrong. If you said Jesus of Nazareth, unfortunately, you would be wrong. Know who it is? Mickey Mouse. Think about it, a figure that doesn't even exist is better known, more popular than the Son of God who died for the sins of the world. Someone has well said that they have no fear that the church will succeed, but that it will succeed in those things that do not matter. No matter how many barns or silos are built, what kind of farm machinery you have, How much seed is sown, how much the land is cultivated, how much water you get. The farmer who does not bring in the harvest will eventually cease to be a farmer. Am I right, Dave? Am I right, Jay? Yes. It all comes down to the harvest, The same is true when we are talking about the harvesting of souls for the kingdom of God. Leading people to repentance and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. It all comes down to the harvest. We have before us, and I wanna talk about uh, in detail this morning, probably one is one of the most haunting statements in all of the Bible, and it's found in Jeremiah chapter eight, verse 20, and there it says, the harvest is past, the summer is ended, and we are not saved. Now the prophet Jeremiah, who spoke these words, was in the city of Jerusalem, and he had been warning the nation of Judah of doom and disaster because of their ongoing rebellion against God and in this very chapter eight, God declares in verse 13 leading up to verse 20, he says there in verse 13 that their fields would be ruined. In verse 17 he says their cities would be ruined and then in verse 19 he said the people of Judah will either be captured or killed. And Jeremiah warned the people that only God and God alone could deliver them from the armies of Babylon that were marching toward the city. But as so often was the case, they chose not to listen. Instead, they formed an alliance with with Egypt to fight the Babylonians, but Babylon was able to defeat Egypt and marched on Jerusalem. They surrounded the city and they laid siege to the people now back in those days people lived within the walls of a city and the crops were outside the walls and so often the armies they would just simply wait outside the walls for the people inside to run out of food and then they would come out and surrender all the people could do was watch the crops spoil the harvest wither and the summer end and say we are not saved They learned the bitter lesson that there is no loss like the loss of the harvest. And so this morning, I want you to see in this text before us three things, three consequences or ramifications of the loss of the harvest. First, there is the reality of the loss. The first statement says the harvest is past. And right before our very eyes, even in this day and age, The harvest is passing away. The harvest is passing on a global scene. I want you to listen to these statistics. The unevangelized population of the earth is growing at a rate of 23,600 persons per day faster than they are being evangelized. Out of every 100 invitations given to people to become followers and disciples of Christ, 87 of those invitations will be given to people who are already Christians. They've already heard the gospel message, they've already responded. 11.7 of those 100 invitations will be extended to people who have already been evangelized but are non-Christians. In other words, they've heard the message of the gospel. They have just chosen to refuse it. Of those 100 invitations, only 1.3 will be extended to individuals who have never heard the gospel message. There are 4.4 billion people in the world who have never heard the name of Jesus. Now just stop and think about that for a moment. 23 people a minute, 1,400 people an hour, 32,600 people a day, 235,000 people a week, 12,230,000 people a year will die without ever responding to the gospel of Jesus Christ. So the harvest, it is passing globally. The harvest is also passing nationally. Even when you look here in the United States, the harvest is passing. Even though as a country we have the freedom of religion, we have multiple churches in most towns and cities, the gospel message being proclaimed on multiple platforms, television, radio, internet, books, etc. And yet, listen to these facts. Since 1980, there has been no growth in the proportion of the adult population that would classify themselves as born-again or evangelical Christians. Since 1970, there has been no appreciable change in the proportion of adults who attend church services at any time during the week. The fastest growing churches right now in America are not Christian. Among those expanding most rapidly are the Mormons, Jehovah Witnesses, and other various cults. So the harvest, it's passing globally. It's passing nationally. And the harvest is also passing individually. It is a proven fact that the harvest, that the most Opportune time in the life of a person to be receptive, to be open to the gospel of Jesus Christ is during the prime of life, during the early years of life. Even wise old Solomon seemed to understand this when he said in Ecclesiastes 12:1, he said, Remember now the creator, remember now your creator in the days of your youth. Several years ago, a very famous evangelist concluded after many, many years of surveying the crowds that would come to his crusades. And he said if a person isn't saved by the time he's 21, he said the chances are 5,000 to one that he will ever be saved. If he hasn't been saved by the time he's 30, he said the chances increase to 15,000 to one that he will ever be saved. If he hasn't made that decision by the time he's 40, the chances are 30,000 to one that he will not be saved. If he isn't saved by the time he's 50, he said the chances are 150,000 to one that he will ever trust Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And, And the numbers just go up from there. For some, the harvest is passing. There may be some of you in this room this morning, the harvest is passing and you don't even realize it. You're getting older, and as you're getting older, your heart is just becoming more and more hardened to the things of God, and you don't even realize it. I mean, look, think about this for a moment. Look at most of the adult baptisms that you've seen, and not just here, but just anywhere in churches. How many of those people being baptized are over 60? Just a few. How many of those people are over 70? Hardly any. How many of them are over the age of 80? Never. Dwight L. Moody, the great evangelist, told a story of how one time he was preaching a crusade in a large city. And he was preaching on this very text from Jeremiah 820. When he gave the invitation for people to received Christ, there was a man and a wife in the crowd, and the man's wife was sitting next to him. She was someone, she was a Christian, she loved the Lord, and she sat next to her husband, weeping, begging, and pleading for him to go forward and to give his heart to Christ. But that man adamantly refused to do it. Many, many, many years later, Moody was back in that same city, and he was preaching another crusade. And there was an older man that he had heard of who had contracted a terminal illness, and this this older man had asked if Moody would come and see him. So Moody and his song leader Ira Sankey went to see this man, who was now gray, his face was wrinkled, his body was withered with age and disease. And Moody said when he walked into that bedroom, he said there was this man's wife kneeling beside her husband's bed pleading and crying for him to come to the Lord. And Moody said the man was kind of mumbling something and so he leaned over and got close to the man and he was trying to listen to what he was saying. And Moody said he just heard the man repeating over and over and over, the harvest is past, summer is ended, and we are not saved. And Moody looked at the wife and she said, why does he keep repeating that verse? And she said, you preached on that text the last night of your crusade here many years ago. My husband heard that sermon and adamantly refused to be saved. That's why he's repeating it now. Moody said he got on his knees beside that man and just pleaded with him, come to Christ. But he said, the man just kept shaking his head no and repeating over and over, the harvest is past, the summer is ended, and we are not saved. Dwight Moody said, that man died about sundown with gritted teeth and clenched fists, saying as he went out into eternity, the harvest is past. The second thing about the loss of the harvest is the reason for the loss. Why is the harvest past? Well as Jeremiah tells us because the summer is ended the time to harvest wheat in Jeremiah's day was primarily May and June after that the burning sun would dry out the wheat and it would just cook the life out of it so when the summer was ended the harvest was past And just as there is a season for harvesting grain, there's also a season, a time for harvesting souls. And when that season is over, the harvest is past. So what does it mean? What is to be understood by that phrase, the summer has ended? When a person dies, his summer is ended. Now there are two things you'll never have an opportunity to do in heaven. One of them is giving. Giving ends when we get to heaven. By that I mean there are no offering plates in heaven. That's why a lot of people will be happy to get there. As far as I can tell from scripture, there's not gonna be any need, there's not gonna be talk of tithes and offerings, there's not gonna be any stewardship campaigns, no building projects, no land to buy, no mission projects to finance. That's why we have the opportunity to do our giving while we're living so we know where it's going. But also in heaven, witnessing will be over. There's not gonna be any more obligation for sharing Christ with unbelievers in heaven. When the saint goes to heaven, again, he he can never share the gospel with, with a sinner. Okay, in heaven, there is no sowing. In heaven, there is no reaping in this regard. So the summer ends when the sinner dies. I remember when I was serving at the United Methodist Church here in town, not after, not long after I had been there, I was asked to go and see a man uh, who had attended the church for many, many years, off and on. And I think it was more off um, than on. He was an older man, he was of the Jewish faith, uh, had diabetes uh, most of his life, and was in the process of dying. He was at a nursing home here in town and The senior pastor was pretty sure that he had never made a profession of faith in Christ and so he asked if I would just go see him and be willing to share the gospel message with him. So I went to see him and I remember when I walked in the room, I'd never met him before. I was fairly new to the church at that time and I just remember being shocked by both what I saw and by what I smelled. Because of his diabetes, parts of his arms and, and legs had been amputated, so the man was just severely disfigured. And, and I don't know if you've ever smelled death, but there are times where when people are in the process of dying, they, they just get this very distinct smell. If you've ever smelled it, it's one of those things that kind of is self-pronouncing, You don't have to say, gee, what is that smell? That smell tells you exactly what it is. And he had this smell of death about him. So after I introduced myself and, you know, kind of was just trying to make some small talk and, uh, you know, just uh, getting to know him a little bit. um, And and he had openly acknowledged uh, at the very beginning that he knew he did not have long to live. So after a few moments, I kind of just started sharing the gospel with him. And I remember distinctly the moment I mentioned the name Jesus. This man grew visibly and violently angry and ordered me immediately to leave his room and to never come back. I remember he had some very choice words for me, which I won't Repeat here, but clearly, this man was not a fan of Jesus. As a matter of fact, he called the church, told the senior pastor to never, ever allow me to come back into that room again. Not too long after that instance, that man's summer ended, and I do not believe that he was saved. For a lot of people, the sun is setting on the harvest, and they are not saved. Every day, for some, the golden grain of the harvest is falling to the ground. I believe that's why Jesus said in John 9, verse 4, he said, we must, we must. It's not optional, we must. Work the works of him who sent me while it is day. The night is coming when no one can work. Robert Moffat, a great missionary and a great statement said this, he said, we shall have all eternity in which to celebrate our victories, but only one short hour before the sun sets in which to win them. The sun even now is setting on the harvest. The harvest is passing and the summer is ending. The third thing about the loss of the harvest, that is the result of the lost. The last statement of Jeremiah 8.20, it is the saddest of the three and we are not saved. Now the Hebrew word there it literally means saved from judgment. So you could translate Jeremiah 8:20 saying the harvest is past the summer is ended and we are not saved from judgment. Now this is the sinner speaking. And it could be either the last words the sinner speaks before death, or it could be the first words the sinner says after death. But either way, no matter what else you say or do, nothing else matters if you're not a part of the harvest. Many years ago, I came across a poem that struck me and it's something that really kind of has always stayed with me. I want you to listen to it. When the choir has sung its last anthem, the preacher has prayed his last prayer, when the people have heard their last sermon and the sound has died out in the air, when the Bible lies closed on the altar and the pews are all emptied of men and each one stands facing his record and the great book is opened, what then? When the actor has played his last drama and the mimic has made his last fun, when the film has flashed its last picture, and the billboard displayed its last run, when the crowd seeking pleasure has vanished and gone out in the darkness again, and the trumpet of ages has sounded, and we stand before him, what then? When the bugle's call sinks into silence and the long marching columns stand still, when the captain repeats his last orders and they've captured the last fort and hill, When the flag is hauled down from the masthead and the wounded, a field checked in, and a world that's rejected as savior is asked for a reason, what then? The harvest is past, the summer is ended, and we are not saved. The time between when the harvest is ripe and when the harvest is rotten is so very, very short. James 4.14 reminds us of that when he says, yet you do not know what your life will be like tomorrow. You are just a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. Jesus tells us in John 4.35, lift up your eyes and look on the fields that they are white for harvest. Folks, lift up your eyes in Mason City. Lift up your eyes in Clear Lake. Lift up your eyes in in northern Iowa. Lift up your eyes in southern Minnesota for the fields are white for harvest. They are ripe for harvest. They are ready for harvest. The harvest is great. The need is for laborers. I didn't get to talk about this last week, but you'll notice Jesus says we need to be praying for the laborers. We need to be praying for the evangelists. We need to be sharing. We need to be praying for those that are out there sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. I read a while back about a true story of a young husband and his wife who lived in Alberta, Canada. They went out one autumn night in the time of harvesting because they wanted to go out and to see the Uh, moon shining upon the wheat fields. On this particular night, the wheat fields were kind of just blowing gently in the wind and that harvest moon was shining down and they were so captivated by the beauty of it. They had taken their little son with them And as they're kind of walking through and they're enjoying the fields and the beauty of the crops as the moon shone down on them, the couple is just walking and they're enjoying the beauty of all of that. And they didn't realize, but they had lost track of their young son. He was just kind of a young tot at that time. And all of a sudden, they kind of realized as they looked around them, the young boy was no longer with them. So they kind of broke apart and the wife went in one direction, the husband went in the other. They started calling him, searching for him, thinking that he hadn't gotten far and they would find him quickly. But instead they got further and further away from the spot where they first missed him. And they came to this realization that he's somewhere in this thousand acres of wheat They also realized that before long the coldness of that Canadian night air would be settling in and this little boy was not uh, heavily dressed and would potentially freeze. So the wife stayed there and the husband rushed back into the city and got people together and said, please come help us find him, we've gotta find our son. So they got as many people together as they could and they went back into that wheat field to look for that little boy and it seemed as though they were literally threshing the wheat as they're looking for this lost son. They prayed, they searched, they looked, they called, and finally, as night grew on in its bitterness, one man said, I believe there's a better way to do this. Let's get organized. Let's make a human chain. Let's just stretch out and join hand to hand and we'll just sweep together through these fields. We'll go up one side and turn around and come back down the other, and if he's in here, we'll eventually find him. Up and down they went. Until suddenly there was a cry, I found him, and everybody rushed together to find the lifeless, frozen form of that little boy who died of exposure. The story goes that as the people stood around weeping, one voice was heard to say, oh, why didn't we join our hands together sooner? There are people all around us. In Mason City, North Iowa, South Minnesota, who are slipping through the jaws of death into a Christless eternity. And the challenge for us is, will we as a church join our hands together for the harvest that the people might come to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior? Let me just close with some very, very simple ways that I think we can be involved in the harvesting of souls. One such way, I I know a lot of you maybe have already done this or you're in the process of doing that, and that is the Operation Christmas Child. It's kind of a shoebox, and inside the shoebox, you'll find there is an insert, and it'll explain everything that you need uh, to do uh, to fill the uh, shoebox, items that you can put in that, um, and it just really pretty much explains everything, but probably the most important thing that they put in every shoebox that goes to every child that receives one of these shoeboxes around the world is they put a gospel track in there that is in the language of that child. So they're able, as they're looking at everything in the shoebox, they get a gospel track that really lays out the gospel message in a way that they can understand it. They've been doing this now for many, many years and you can actually go online now and you can actually watch testimonies of, of people who are missionaries now, who are pastors because of the gospel track that was in this box. And so again, I would just encourage you, if you've not yet done this, these Boxes are downstairs in the hallway as you come in the door going into the Praise Cafe. And you can just pick one of these up. And this is a very, very simple way to help spread the gospel around the world. Also uh, is our bus ministry. A lot of you have been very, very generous um, in giving towards that. We've been able to get our bus back up and running, uh, to be able to go and to get people from places like B.G. Clark and from uh, Prairie Ridge. And again, a lot of these are are people maybe that have heard the gospel or they've been living the Christian life at one time but they've gotten distracted, they've gotten sidelined and they're in trouble. And again bringing them here it's an opportunity to help get them refocused again or maybe get focused for the first time on who Jesus Christ is and what he has to offer them. And so again, we're so appreciative for our bus ministry that that brings people here where they're able to hear a life-changing message. I I wanna just continue to lift up the River City House of Prayer, Archop. I know a lot of times they're praying for for revival. They're praying for evangelism around the world. They're praying for it here in Iowa, in Mason City. And so again, uh, just, going and and being a part of that, coming together with other like-minded believers and just praying. I mean the Bible says if, if two or more agree on anything it will be accomplished. And so again there is power in corporate And so I just would encourage you, if you've got an opportunity, any Monday through Friday, noon until I think uh, sometimes 1.15 is is what they go toward, just come and be a part of that. I know Jim talked about, again, just that day of prayer this coming Tuesday, not just for the election, but praying for our nation, our state, and our city. So our CHOP is a great way. Uh, Tracks, out on the uh, Welcome Center, we've got tracks. Um, What I like about these is I really feel like they are relevant, um, they're, they're nicely done, they're very colorful, they're attractive, um, and again, all of these give the gospel message. On the back side of it, we put information there about the church, if they would, you know, Follow up or follow through and want to attend a church based on what they read in these tracks. These are things that maybe you can just, you know, ladies slip in your purse, guys just slip them in your pocket. And there may come a time where God just kind of, you know, moves you and says, hey, that track you've got in your pocket, your purse, this would be a good person to give it to. And so, again, this is a very, very simple way uh, to just be sharing the gospel message. with people, I know Cassie had mentioned the nursing home. Uh, you know, I mean, talk about, you know, the, the summer ending. I mean, a lot of the people there at the nursing home, I mean, that, that is their final place before death. And what a great opportunity to be able to go and to share the gospel message there. So if, if you would like to get involved in, in the nursing home ministry, just going and, and just praying with people. I know Jeannie goes and sings. There's people that go and play instruments. Again, this is, this is the final opportunity opportunity for some of these people to hear that gospel message, and so that is important as well. Just inviting family and friends. I mean, some of you are here this morning because someone invited you. You came, you encountered God, and your life was changed. So don't ever stop inviting or asking people um, to come. Also, you'll notice pretty much every Sunday uh, that I have an outline. I try to include on the back side of that the plan of salvation. What a person needs to know. There's a there's a prayer that you can pray on the back of that outline as well. So that's something that you know you can kind of maybe tuck in your Bible. And maybe if you're having a conversation with somebody and, and you kind of want to know what is the plan of salvation, you can maybe just kind of pull that out and and you know go through that with them. Pray that prayer with them. So, folks, these are just some very, very simple and yet i think very very effective ways to be a part of the harvest of of souls of bringing people to repentance and faith in jesus christ if we don't do it who is It, it is our call it is our mandate to be that voice Um, in in this generation, and so I just, I pray uh, for for all of you, and again, Jesus said pray for the laborers, pray for those evangelists, pray for the ones who are out there uh, sharing this morning. So I'm just gonna end by doing um, that this morning. Father, I just ask, Lord, that you would just be with those this morning who really are evangelistic. Lord, the people that are out there uh, just sharing and witnessing to people who are lost, who don't know the gospel. Father, I just pray, Lord, that you would just continue to strengthen them. God, that you would just give them boldness. God, that you would just give them, you know, just clarity in in being able to speak your words. God, I pray, Lord, that you would just give them favor, Uh, in your sight, that God, there would just be a winsomeness about the way they share the gospel, that Lord, hearts would just be turned to you. Father, I pray for anyone and everyone in this room as they're sharing the gospel, whether that's in word or deed, that God, you would just begin to use that to turn hearts towards you. Father, I also pray if there's any here this morning, that God, that there is just a hardness in their heart towards you. God, I pray that you would just begin to move on them with the power of the presence of the Holy Spirit. God, just to begin to break up that hard heart, to begin to soften that hardness there. That God, your love would just begin to melt their resistance to the gospel. Father, that you would just reveal yourself to them as a God who is good, who is merciful, a God who is loving and patient. And God, I just pray, Lord, as more and more of your spirit just overflows upon their hearts, that God, again, you would just melt away any and all resistance to that. And that, God, they would look to you, they would turn to you, and see that you are a God who loves them, who cares for them. That, God, you have a plan for their life to bless them, Father, to prosper them. And so, Lord, we just pray if there's any here this morning, that are resistant to that, God. I just pray again, Lord, that you would bring revelation to their heart, that you would bring clarity, that you would bring understanding, insight to their hearts about who you are, how you see them, how you feel towards them. And God, I just pray again, Lord, that that would just melt away any resistance. And we just pray all of this in Jesus' name.